0: Why would a Roman Emperor willingly step down? Find out today on Footnoting History. Although Roman emperor might seem like a pretty sweet job, in the 3rd century, with turmoil within and outside of the Roman Empire, it was anything but. Between 235 and 284, a period known as the 3rd century crisis or imperial crisis, over 20 men were proclaimed emperor and only one died peacefully in his own bed. The imperial crisis began with the rise of the Sasanian dynasty in Persia in the 220s and their desire to restore the Persian Empire to its extent under the emperors. The Achaemenid Persian Empire, or First Persian Empire, lasted from 500 to 330 BCE and is the Persian Empire of Xerxes and 300 fame. This meant that they laid claim not just to Iran and Iraq, but also Egypt and western Turkey, territories occupied by the Romans in the early 3rd century. And so beginning in the 230s, the Sasanian Persians pushed into the Roman Empire. Although Roman emperors launched major counteroffensives over the next few decades, they didn't fare too well. Even though he celebrated a triumph in the city of Rome to celebrate Roman victory, Alexander Severus's initial rally against the Persians in the early 230s ended inconclusively, and Persian matters preoccupied him for the remainder of his reign. It was this concern with the Persian threat that led him to pay off Germanic chieftains threatening Rome's borders instead of waging war against them. Alexander Severus was killed by his own soldiers in 235 possibly because they felt that they should punish instead of acquiesce to these groups, whom they saw as barbarians. In the 240s and 250s, two emperors, Gordian and Philip, died on campaigns, Gordian by his own troops after he was defeated by the Persians, no less, and a third, Valerian, was captured and, according to his sources, after he died, was skinned and tanned and turned into a trophy. The emperor's focus on war in the east created a situation where disgruntled army commanders and bureaucrats elsewhere in the empire, that is, the Balkans and the western frontier, thought about usurpation. On the other side of these frontiers, the Goths formed a new confederacy after 248, and Germanic warbands pushed against the Rhine River border from the 260s. With war on all sides and civil war, social and economic troubles, and even an outbreak of disease followed, further weakening the empire. Despite all of the negative aspects of the 3rd century crisis, because imperial survival depended on successful military defense, effective soldiers like Diocletian could rise up in rank and even become emperor. Diocletian's rise should be seen as part of a military revolution in the Roman Empire. Around 260, professional soldiers began to dominate military commands, as the senatorial aristocracy, which traditionally held these positions, was excluded from them. Diocletian himself was born into a family of low social standing in the Roman province of Dalmatia in modern-day Croatia and not well educated. Nevertheless, because of his military ability, he gained command of the area of Moesia on the Danube border. Rose to serve as the commander of the cavalry of Emperor Carus's imperial guard and in 283 received the title of consul, the highest rank in the Roman Empire. While campaigning against the Persians in 284, Carus died. Leaving his young son Numerian as emperor of the east, and another young son, Carinus, in the west. Soon after, Numerian died under mysterious circumstances. In front of the rest of the army, Diocletian accused the Praetorian prefect, Aprim, of Numerian's murder and killed him. The army, the army acclaimed Diocletian emperor of the east in Numerian's place. Diocletian then moved against his remaining rival, Numerian's brother, Carinus at the Battle of the River Margus in 285 to consolidate his power over the empire. With his position secure, Diocletian sought to legitimize his status as emperor and distance himself from the deaths of his predecessors. Our two narrative sources for these events, Eutropius and Aurelius Victor, state that Carus was struck dead by a bolt of lightning, which meant that he clearly was not a favorite of the gods. Aurelius Victor depicted Carus's son, Charinus, as being killed by his own soldiers while on the verge of victory in battle because Carinus had seduced their wives. In addition to the lack of favor shown to them by the gods, ousted would-be emperors were often portrayed as committing depraved sexual acts to further demonstrate their unfitness to rule. To promote continuity between his regime and that of his predecessors, Diocletian solicited the support of important senatorial families that had previously backed Carus and his family. Building on victories by other soldier emperors from 269 on, Diocletian restored the frontiers of the empire, and along with his co-emperors, more on them in a minute, enacted administrative and military reforms to re-establish effective government and defense. Although he had gone to great lengths to gain control of the Roman Empire, Diocletian realized that it was too big to be effectively ruled by just one person. In 285, soon after gaining control of the west, Diocletian appointed Maximian to the rank of Caesar, or junior emperor, in the west. A year later, he would move up to the status of Augustus, or senior emperor. The quick choice of Maximian may have been, in part, a response to a rebellion in Gaul by the Baguidae, led by Alianus and Amandus, who even referred to himself as emperor. Maximian also had to deal immediately with Saxon and Frankish pirates along the English Channel and Germanic groups assembling along the Rhine River frontier. He managed to do so, but not without some issues. Carausius, who Maximian had charged with defending Britain, proclaimed himself emperor as well. Seven years later, in 293, two other generals, Constantius and Galerius, were appointed Caesars, Constantius in the west under Maximian, now an Augustus, and Galerius in the east. Both men were married to the daughters of the reigning senior emperor, Constantius to Maximian's daughter and Galerius to Diocletian's daughter Valeria tying the Caesars to the Augusti dynastically. This system of power-sharing, known today as the Tetrarchy, or rule by four, has been hailed as one of Diocletian's major achievements. But as historian Jill Harries argues, already in the first century, emperors such as Vespasian, and later Marcus Aurelius, at times had co-emperors. And we cannot know whether Diocletian planned the Tetrarchy, decided to power-share on the fly due to arising circumstances, or felt compelled to associate others to the position of emperor. Nevertheless, from 293 to 305, the Tetrarchy portrayed itself as ruling harmoniously, and even described itself in familial terms. Diocletian reached a peace agreement with Persia in 287, but after a resumption of hostilities and the initial loss of the province of Mesopotamia, it was his junior emperor, Galerius, whose military victory over the Persians proved to be decisive for stabilizing the frontier between Rome and Persia, on Roman terms. Probably due to Galerius's influence, Diocletian began a persecution of Christians known as the Great Persecution in 303. Religiously, Diocletian was a devotee of Jupiter, Rome's traditional patron, and was concerned with making sure that the gods were on the Roman side. However, for most of his reign, he generally tolerated Christians. According to a contemporary source, Lactantius, Diocletian changed his policy because at a state offering to the gods, the priests were unable to obtain omens, which they blamed on Christians in the army on parade, offending the gods by making the sign of the cross. Diocletian declared that Christians had to perform a sacrifice or be expelled from military and civil service. For the Romans, ritual observances were fundamental for keeping the gods on your side. In 303, Diocletian ordered that Christian churches be closed and religious books destroyed, and forbade Christians from gathering for religious services. He then ordered the arrest of all clergy, whom he held in prison until they were forced to sacrifice. Those who did were released, but those who did not were martyred. Finally, he ordered a general, empire-wide sacrifice to compel the proper worship of the gods. This was not the first call for a general sacrifice in the Roman Empire. In 250, the Roman emperor Decius called for all inhabitants of the empire to sacrifice in front of a magistrate and receive a certificate of sacrifice to prove it. Interestingly enough, this led to the creation of a black market for fake certificates of sacrifice. At any rate, Diocletian's edicts were not enforced uniformly, especially after he abdicated. In the West, under Maximian, churches were closed, but the clergy were not arrested or compelled to sacrifice, and there were no martyrdoms. After Maximian abdicated, Maxentius even restored the church's property. In the East, after Diocletian stepped down in 305, Galerius, now the senior emperor, continued to persecute Christians and called for yet another general sacrifice, to make sure that no Christians slipped through the cracks. As I just mentioned, Diocletian abdicated at Nicomedia in 305 and retired to his palace at Split, in modern-day Croatia, as did Maximian, less willingly, at Milan, his capital city in the West. Why did Diocletian retire? Historians have puzzled over this question, but most agree that his age, he was over 60, and declining health played a large role. In 304, after celebrating 20 years of rule in Rome, Diocletian became very ill on his way back to Nicomedia and almost died. Our main source, Lactacius, states that Galerius was pressuring Diocletian, although how much of a role Galerius had played has been debated. At any rate, after rain spent combating rivals, Persians, barbarian groups along the borders and even Christians, Diocletian stepped down to return to his homeland and live life as a retiree, growing cabbages. Not a bad end for a Roman emperor in the 3rd century. This has been Footnoting History. If you like the podcast, be sure to visit our website, footnotinghistory.com, where you can find links to further reading suggestions related to this week's episode, as well as a calendar of upcoming podcasts. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at History Footnote. Until next time, remember the best stories are always in the footnotes. See you next week!